Welcome to the Spirit Restored Podcast. This is where the curiosities of spiritualism meet the belief systems of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This podcast is only for those with an open mind. Join Ken Adams on his quest to find higher planes of spiritual experience. Hello and welcome to this Sunday's Spirit Restored Podcast. This is Ken Adams, your host. And I'm really grateful for the listeners, people that have been listening to this podcast. It's been a really great journey for me as well as I think for other people. As we've been discussing some interesting topics about quantum physics, about feminine energy, masculine energy, about topics that we don't normally talk about in church, like like, uh, is what the church teaches about worthiness cultural or is it doctrinal? And what should I really believe? All of these things have been really important for me to understand my own personal power and my own faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And today, this podcast could be one that if you are someone that is trying to understand how you feel about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints this one might help you get a direction. And uh, there may be some things in here that are new revelations for you, things you didn't know about church history or about doctrine or any of those things. Just know that I am not a shy person when it comes to talking about the church or its history or any of those things because it doesn't really matter to me that there is some history in the church that could be colored. I don't really care about that, and I'm okay talking about it, researching it, being open all about it. So there might be some stuff in here that you'll be like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, I just invite you to research a little more, or you can talk to me um, at one of the fire nights that I'll be doing in my house where we'll have groups of people come together to talk about it. Well, this, this podcast today is titled, Is the Church True?, And I was asked this about a month ago on the phone by someone, and I couldn't really give a very short answer on exactly how I felt about it because the church, and in fact, I was talking to my dad, and by the way, I'll give an answer of what I think at the end of this podcast, but I was talking to my dad about this. I was like, what does that even mean if the church is true? Because the church is just a system. It's just like... I mean, think of like a computer system, right? You work, you run a computer system and there's going to be some errors in it. And then someone goes and fixes the coding and the errors. And it's just always progressively getting better, right? And I'm like, it's, it's a system. You know, it's like, why do we say that a system is true? That doesn't make any sense. What makes more sense is if, if we say things like, is the church led by Jesus Christ? That's That's a relevant question. I think that's something that people can consider and make judgments about and try and figure out? Or um, is the Book of Mormon the Word of God? That's another very like concrete thing that we can investigate and learn about. But linguistically, this phrase, is the church true, is just really odd. And so I asked my dad that question. He said something really interesting to me about this. In fact, my dad and I, we always have some of the most awesome conversations. We're always talking about things in history and about religion and about philosophy. And if you're ever in on one of those conversations, they're really enjoyable what we talk about. 
And one of these things that um, came up recently to my mind that I want to bring up to my dad, and I'm sure he'll be listening to this, is that there's this idea that Moses is a mythical person, someone that did not actually live and his story is all based on myth. Well, and also I'm going to add here also this idea that the oldest writing form was cuneiform that came out of ancient Samaria, but there is some evidence to say that Hebrew is older than that because there was a rock that was found. And I'm going to tell you about that. It's it's really cool. This rock was found in Egypt and it was written with ancient Hebrew on it because there's even speculation about when Hebrew was made, and if the Israelites were even in Egypt as slaves at any time. And, you know, there's all these questions about history that we can dive into, and we might not know the answers to right away. In fact, a lot of things just happened a long, long time ago, right? And recently, you may have seen in church news or other news that Joseph Smith there's a picture of him that's come out that's possibly the first photograph of Joseph Smith. And they're trying to figure out if that is an actual photograph of him. It seems very likely because it comes from one of his descendants and he has some unique evidence to say that it's possibly his photo. In fact, on my social media page, I'll put up the photo of him soon so you can look at it. And really the question is, like, what is truth? In fact, one of the oldest, the oldest fragment of the New Testament ever found is in the book of John, chapter 18, verse 37 through 38. And it's Jesus Christ in front of Pontius Pilate, and he's talking about truth. I think that that is very revealing on and very metaphorical of what one of our quests here on earth is, is to learn what is truth and to pay attention to the most important truths and the most important kinds of truths. So have you ever wondered, for example, how you and a friend could have opposing opinions about someone that you know? Yeah. So you know the same person, but both of you kind of like one of you might have distaste for the person. The other person says, no, I love that guy. Yeah, or maybe you have looked at some evidence. This this would happen in grad school all the time when I was in grad school. Someone would look at a study and they'd be like, well, I think this is true from the study. And someone else would be like, no, it doesn't mean that. It means this, right? And this happens all the time. It seems to be that everybody has their own perception of truth, which is an interesting thing to think about that. The people closest to you might not see the world even closely how you perceive it and that they have a different perception of what truth is. So truth can be very elusive also. So what is truth is one of the most fundamental questions ever posed in the history of humanity. And this is a tough question because truth can be rarely proven since so much of what is true relies on our ability ability to perceive the world around us. So this question, yeah, before I answer it completely, I'm going to give a short-ish answer that's not all the way complete to is the church true? I'm going to say yes and no, because it depends on a few things. 
One is it depends on how you define true. Also, the other thing is it depends on your perception and how you perceive truth. Yeah. And I'll give some examples of what I believe is not true that comes from LDS church history and what I believe is true from the LDS church. And I will also explain how you can actually know if an eternal truth is true or not. So here are some different ways to think about truth. Yeah, there's there are different types of truth. One is subjective truth. Another one is objective truth. Another one is circumstantial truth. Another one is eternal truth. And when I say eternal truth, I'm going to interchange it with something that's called directional truth. So truth that leads you in a direction. So let's talk about subjective truths first. Subjective truths are beliefs that people hold that they are convinced are true. Yeah, And here are some examples of subjective truths in the LDS church that members currently commonly believe or have believed in the past. Okay. So here's one. The Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Now, this is controversial that I'm saying it's a subjective truth. Yeah, This statement has not been proven objectively, neither can it. Therefore, it is a subjective truth believed by man, many members of the LDS Church, and it is rather futile to prove it either way. And yes, I've read a lot of counter-arguments against the Book of Mormon, and they all fall short in explaining how it got made in the incredible literary and transformative state that it is in. And so I'm not saying that the Book of Mormon is not true. I'm just saying that it cannot be objectively proven right now. There are not facts that say that the Book of Mormon is factually true. And there's also not enough facts to say that the Book of Mormon is objectively not true. Despite some of these arguments that could be there, you might hear. For example, one is not finding enough genetics, not finding the genetics for ancient Israel in the Native Americans. Well, it would be very unlikely, actually, that you would find ancient Israelite genetics in the sample of the Native Americans because it's a story in the book about one family that migrated from ancient Israel and came to the Americas. And genetic drift, which is a process of how the genes mutate and change over time, could completely eliminate the genome from that one family that migrated over, especially with mass extinction events, which are in the Book of Mormon that it talks about with war. However, there have been tribes in Virginia that have had ancient Semitic blood in them. So even these arguments with DNA and stuff like that, they fall short. I haven't found a clear argument to objectively prove yes or no. Therefore, I would say the Book of Mormon being the Word of God is a subjective truth. This is something that you either know it through your perception or you don't know it. And Joseph Smith, here's another subjective truth, that Joseph Smith saw Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father in a vision in the Sacred Grove in 1820. This also cannot be proven scientifically or verified. So this is a subjective truth. There is nothing objective about it. We don't have photographs of the first vision, and we don't have any evidence other than journal entries or uh, what Joseph Smith wrote as statements about the first vision. So both of these are subjective truths that I believe are true, though I cannot, <clears throat> I cannot prove it to you with facts. There are no facts that I can give you that will prove it to be true.
So there are subjective truths from the church that I disagree with. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, some of these could be things you hadn't heard before. And as I've been looking through church history and everything, I thought it would be more colorful than it is. There's really not too much in the history of the church that's that's very colorful. There's actually very few quotes, specifically a lot of uh, people that have left the church would like to paint the whole history of the church as racist. And I would say there was some racism, but I wouldn't say that everyone in the church was racist or that all of the brethren are racist. There are certainly racist quotes, but there's a lot less than you would think. And this is one of them, one of these racist quotes that I do not agree with. That and, and the reason why this is a subjective truth is because there's no way to prove this, what this statement is. And I also disagree with it. So that black people are descendants of Cain and were given darker skin in this life because they were less valiant in the pre-existence. And that they will not inherit the highest glory of the celestial kingdom. They'll only go there as a servant. This is summarized from a quote by Mark E. Peterson in 1954. It's a terrible quote. I mean, it's it's really awful what he's saying here in my own perception of how I view things. Now, I highly disagree and I highly doubt that what he's saying is true at all. And there's also no way to prove that it isn't true because it's about things that we cannot verify, like pre-existence and descendants of Cain and stuff like that. And so here's here's the a direct quote here. It says that this Negro Negro, sorry, this Negro who in the pre-existence lived the type of life which justified the Lord in sending him to the earth in their lineage of Cain with black skin and possibly being born in darkest Africa. So this is basically saying like that because someone's black, it's because they were terrible in the pre-existence. Like this does not make any sense. This really did. Subjectively, this is ridiculous to me. And I'm glad that the church does not talk about these things anymore or say or allow anybody to believe this. And furthermore, in these days, we, we have a very strong anti-racism stance in the church. So... Here's another thing that Elder Bednar said recently. He said that we do not have free agency because we only have free agency when we follow God. Now, this seems to be a spin on the truth. I think that our agency, we always have the ability to choose whatever we want to. I think what he's saying here is that we're not truly free with our choices until we follow God. You know, it's kind of a spin on the truth. I don't know if I fully agree with this statement. Like, I can see where he's coming from. But this idea of not really having a choice unless we're following God, I don't know about that. I think that following God gives us the ability to make better and more and more expansive choices. But I don't think it actually takes away our choice if we don't follow God all the way. We can still make a choice to start following God and go do other things. So also... There was a controversial quote that went around of someone at like a state conference. Yeah, so this isn't even the brethren. That said that young men do not have a choice to go on a mission or not. I also disagree. I think young men always have a choice to go on a mission. And these are subjective truths, right? This is like someone that has an opinion about something they believe is true. And they're going to say it in front of people because they feel like it's true. 
and I disagree with these. And that's okay because it's subjective based on your life experience. I think some of these are more disagreeable than others as well. So let's talk about objective truth. So objective truths are factual evidences that can be measured and verified by multiple outside parties. <clears throat> so these are things that we know and we have measured, yeah? So was everything that has been said in general conference and at church pulpits around the world factually true? No. I mean, we just highlighted some of them. They're not always true, what is being said. And Elder Uchtdorf said, we openly acknowledge that in nearly 200 years of church history, along with an uninterrupted line of inspired, honorable, and divine events, there have been some that said, some things said and done that could cause people to question. And Elder Uchtdorf said this very frankly, right? And here's, here's an example of something that was presented as an objective truth, right? But it's, we found out objectively that it's not true. Okay, so John Taylor had a watch that he said was shot in Carthage jail. And if you can see that watch in the Church History Museum, and it is just cracked a little bit. If that watch was shot by a bullet, it would have been annihilated and obliterated. It doesn't matter the size of the bullet. The watch would have been totally destroyed. It wouldn't have a small crack. So even church historians recognize now that he likely probably just hit the windowsill and cracked the watch there, that that was not something that happened. Yeah. And so here's another thing that um, we used to say that Joseph Smith never had any plural wives. Well, even Joseph Smith said that he didn't have plural wives at one point. And even, even Emma Smith had said that Joseph did not have plural wives when he, she was being interviewed by her son, Joseph Smith, Joseph, Joseph Smith III. Well, we have a lot of evidence that objectively states that Joseph Smith clearly had more than one wife. And even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints says, yes, Joseph Smith had more than one wife. And this is being taught in seminaries and institutes now, at least in institutes, in church education system that Joseph had more than one wife. So objectively, we're saying um, that Joseph never practiced polygamy, that that's objectively false. We know for sure that he did. So the thing about objective truths is that they can easily and very quickly turn into subjective truth when someone gets a fact and they spin it based on their opinion. And so subjective really means creating meaning after perceiving, yeah? And so objective truth can certainly become subjective once meaning is applied to the facts. So for example, if scientists unequivocally confirm that humans evolved out of primates and that there was no possible way that God intervened in the creation of Adam and Eve, then you could start making conclusions that we were not made in the image of God or that he did not create the earth. Well, these would be a creation of your mind helping you to draw conclusions about the facts that were presented to you. However, someone else could look at all the facts and say, wow, God is so efficient. He didn't need to create a human from scratch. He made a system that evolved species to be hardy and strong and able to survive everything. What an amazing God we have that created evolution. See, you can look at the same facts and interpret them differently. So these objective facts, sometimes they're just interpreted subjectively, and that creates a worldview of, and, and is inspired by a worldview of how anybody wants to observe the world. Now, this is a very important thing when 
discussing the question of whether or not the church is true. Because in my opinion, there are enough evidences out there for someone with a different worldview to be like, okay, this church is objectively not true. And they can hold that opinion. They will use the evidences and say objectively not, but it is a subjective statement when they say it is not true based on their opinion, based on what they've unearthed and what they've looked at. There's also enough evidence, objective evidence, to say that the church is true, that everything that we hold dearly in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is truth based on their worldview, and they can look at it that way and say it is true. So this question, right, is the church true? I'll get back to the semantics of it later, but it is something that is subjectively perceived, right? So there's another type of truth, circumstantial truths. These are truths or beliefs or actions that are true in one situation, but are not true in another. And this is why it's important to have living prophets, according to the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because what one prophet teaches today might not be true tomorrow, because they're saying something now that applies to the people of now that no longer apply to them. So here's something that people could argue is a circumstantial truth. Polygamy, for one. Yeah, They're saying that it was important to raise righteous seed in the church for a short period of time so that the doctrines of the church could be taught better from the brethren that had multiple wives. They would have a larger family audience than they would normally have otherwise. Now, there's a lot of members of the church that descended from their spiritual faith of those brethren. I'm actually one of those people. I'm a descendant of Willard Richards from his youngest wife. And there's a lot of people like that that are in the church. And it wasn't to raise more seed. It was to raise more righteous seed. And in the times back in those days, there wasn't as much efficient communication like we have now with the internet and phones and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was easier to help people learn the doctrine if they're there in person. And the argument is that polygamy was one way to get a lot of people, progeny, right, educated on the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and pass it down. So that is an argument for polygamy that it, it was basically a circumstantial truth. And so here's another circumstantial truth, yeah? Thou shalt not kill is a commandment given in the Old Testament to Moses. Yeah. And in the Book of Mormon, there was a prophet named Nephi. And Nephi was going to get the records, they're called the brass plates, which were the record of Israelites and scriptures so that they could have scripture when they went out of Israel and sailed across to the Americas. God commanded Nephi to kill the man that was keeping them from having the scriptures. And Nephi found this man drunk on the ground, and Nephi was commanded by the Spirit to kill him, so he pulled his sword out and killed his. the guy's name was Laban. And so this is, at one point, you shouldn't kill, and then at another point, it's okay. This is called a circumstantial truth. Another one would be animal sacrifice, right? So like in the days of Moses, there was the whole law of Moses and all animal sacrifice. And then Jesus came and said, no more. We don't even need to circumcise. Yeah, No more law of sacrifice for animals. All I require is a broken heart and contrite spirit. So circumstantial truths are true for a little bit of time, and then we move on from them. 
usually what we see is that these circumstantial truths, like animal sacrifice, being replaced with a brokenhearted, contrite spirit, is replaced with something that's a higher truth and a more important truth. And that's, that's something that you want to look at as the church keeps developing and keeps experiencing the restoration process. Okay, the last category are eternal truths or directional truths, yeah? So I say an eternal truth is a directional truth because it points you in the right direction for how you should live your life, for what way you should go, for the principles that you have that govern your life that help you get from A to B in a way that is getting you to God, basically. So eternal truths are truths that ennoble and exalt the human family. Eternal truths are truths that continue to move onward regardless of opposition. You cannot stop an eternal truth. Yeah, Doesn't matter how much opposition is there. If you are living an eternal truth, you will continue onward. Also, eternal truths are truths that help you get to know God, yourself, and the world. And it is only possible to discover that by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these eternal truths get help you get to know yourself. That's probably the first place where you can start is you can objectively know that you know yourself by living an eternal truth and get to know God and get to know the world better. So in the end, eternal truths illuminate our intelligence. They make us more intelligent. They make us more free. They make us get to know God. These are all important aspects because they point us in the right direction. That's why I call them directionalized truths. So here are some truths taught in the history of the church that were taught as eternal. And I disagree with these. And also the current church now disagrees with these as well. So one is that polygamy was inspired by God through Joseph Smith and that, um, you know, this, this also cannot be proven factually in either direction, but I disagree with this. And I'll explain this in a moment why I disagree. So along with this doctrine was being taught this idea of having multiple wives in the celestial kingdom. I disagree with this because you would have to believe that women are more righteous than men because there would be more women in the celestial kingdom than men. And you would also have to belittle the power of women to believe that they could only have one man or they could be the only woman to a man. Yeah. So it's, I, I think it's faulty in the idea, especially with this idea that there would be more women than men in the celestial kingdom. It doesn't make any sense to me. So that's, that's something that the church now doesn't really, I don't know. I feel like the church kind of teaches this a little bit still, but they moved away from it a lot. It's not clearly been stated about the celestial kingdom, but polygamy for sure is not being taught as something we should be following right now. And I would agree that it was, I would just say that polygamy was not inspired by God through Joseph Smith. That's my opinion. And I'll, I'll tell you about that in a moment. There was another theory called the Adam-God theory that was taught by Brigham Young. And it was this idea that Adam and Eve were actually Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother that came to earth to live. This also stated that Adam had multiple wives. This was taught in the temple for a while before it was rejected. So the church has actually rejected both of these, right? Polygamy in 1890 and the Adam-God theory. I can't give you a year on that, but that was taken out of the temple as not being true anymore. 
So these are things, sometimes these things were taught as eternal truths, but I don't believe that they were truth because they also didn't stand the test of time. They didn't continue on. So um, Elder Oaks now has given, gave a talk, I think it's in 2010, and I believe it's called the True and Living Church. And uh, he defines the true and living church by three things. Yeah, One is the fullness of doctrine. So he says that the doctrine of Jesus Christ, understood in its fullness, is the plan by which we can become the children of God we are supposed to become. The spotless and perfected state will result from a steady succession of covenants, ordinances, and actions, an accumulation of right choices and continuing repentance. So that's how he's defining the fullness of doctrine. You, you follow the doctrine of Jesus Christ and you'll become celestialized, basically. Whatever that doctrine of Christ is that actually gets you celestialized in the kingdom of God is fullness of doctrine. Another way that he defines it is the power of the priesthood. So as a result of our having the priesthood, this is from the talk, as a result of our having the power of the priesthood, the leaders and duly authorized members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are empowered to perform the required priesthood ordinances, such as baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the administration of the sacrament. And he's basically saying, we have this priesthood that keeps everything in order and in the name of God. Now, I've been in the spiritual community, and I've gotten to know a lot of people that are spiritual people. And I've come to learn that there are uh, light priesthoods and dark priesthoods. What does this mean? Well, there are spiritual powers that come from not God. Yeah, there are spiritual powers that are not Jesus Christ's. And they are, can be equally as miraculous. If you think of Moses when he visits the Pharaoh, and if you've ever seen the movie, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, man. Prince of Egypt. That's what it's called. Yeah. And Moses throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. And the Pharaoh calls on his priests and they come out with other staffs and they throw it on the ground. They become snakes too. Well, what happens is Moses's staff, which is a snake, ate the other snakes. And really what this, this is like a metaphor of those different priesthoods, right? Is that there are other priesthoods and they do miraculous things. We just don't know if they're from Christ or not. And I think that in these latter days, it's been important to know whether or not a spiritual priesthood is from Christ or not, and be able to trace it back all the way to the hands of Jesus Christ, which is what we do in the church. Because it's that important, we don't want to be inviting evil influences or spirits into our church meetings, even though maybe sometimes that happens. But it's it's an important thing thing about the church is that there is the priesthood because then we can perform ordinances in the name of Jesus Christ and have it be known that it is the right kind of ordinance. Okay, the last thing that Elder Oaks says is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he says, we have the revealed truth about the nature of God and our relationship to him. And we therefore have a unique testimony of Jesus Christ. And yes, the vision that, uh, Mormons have of Jesus Christ and of God is much different from regular Christians. And um, we believe that God and Jesus Christ have separate bodies and are eternal beings. And the nature of their character is different than what other groups say. Yeah. We believe that they're separate and they have actual bodies. 
this is different from Christianity. So this is these are like the really elemental pieces of what should be judged to be true in the church. So fullness of doctrine, power of the priesthood, and testimony of Jesus Christ. Do we know God? Do we have his power? And can we live in a way that gets us back to him? It's really what it is. Yeah. So getting back to eternal truth, I want to, as, as you're judging, you might be judging the veracity of the church, whether it's true or not. You might not be, you might be totally like all on board. You might be totally all off board. I don't know who you are and who's listening to this, but this thing that I pondered about a lot is what is truth? Yeah. This question, what is truth? And I've come up with four things that are scriptural. I'm going to have scriptures that back it up. First thing, truth does not need to be held secret and can stand on its own. In the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 26, it says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered and shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Whenever Jesus Christ tells something that is true, he wants it spread everywhere because truth never needs to be hidden. Things that are not true, people try to hide. Yeah. Think about your own character, right? Are there parts about your character that you wouldn't dare tell someone else that you're not happy with or you're dissatisfied with? Yeah, it is a truth about what you've done or what your character is, but it's actually not true of who you are either. Now, the lie is that you need to keep it to yourself. The truth is that you can talk to other people about it and they'll probably help you and love you and God will also help you and love you. So this is this principle alone is the reason why I don't believe that polygamy was inspired of God to Joseph Smith because Joseph Smith repeatedly denied practicing polygamy in public. And if he's denying it, then it's not true to me. Because if it were true, he wouldn't need to deny it. He, he was scared for his life for practicing polygamy, but he also lost his life. It was almost as if he brought it upon himself by denying it. And so I don't personally believe that polygamy was inspired of God to Joseph Smith. You can have a different belief. Totally fine. Like I said, what you believe is based on your own subjective understanding. But to me, based on this rule of truth, that it, truth does not need to be held secret and it can stand on its own, I don't believe that polygamy was inspired. So another principle of truth. Truth brings more freedom in all aspects of life. And in John chapter 8, 32, it says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus Christ says, when you know truth, you're going to be more free, free financially, free mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of them together. Sometimes we think we're free, but we make a decision that makes us less free in another area of life. Like, for example, um, <clears throat> someone could get really, really drunk. And in that moment, they feel more free than they've had been for a long time. But they might not have the spiritual attunement that they're used to having, and so they're restricted in that, and their health might suffer because of that. So that would be less of a truth to me. All right, another one aspect of this, which is, I think, one of the most important, is that truth helps us know God, Christ, and ourselves. It leads us in the right direction. 
And in John chapter 17, verse 3, it says, This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is to get to know God and Jesus Christ. Yeah. When we get to know them, that is when us getting to know truth, because they are the sources of all truth. And it also helps to get to know ourselves. Yeah. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we get to know ourselves when we follow Christ, when we get to know God. That's how we get to know ourselves, because we come closer to him. And with his light, he illuminates our souls so that we can see ourselves for who we are. And these lies that I hear, like that we're not worthy or something like that, are false. Because when you get close to the presence of God, God will show you with his light that you are worthy of everything. The final principle is truth is accompanied with a feeling of peace. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave unto you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Whenever Jesus Christ is talking, whenever you find truth, it's going to eliminate conflict from your life. And this is something I spoke about in the last episode that you can listen to and get an idea of what this means. When you actually know truth, it will be peaceful in your heart. You will be doing the actions that lead you to God and Jesus Christ, because when you follow them, you will always have peace. So here is my response, my official response to whether or not the church is true. So I believe that not everything said or done in the history of the church was objectively, circumstantially, subjectively, or in some rare cases, eternally true. I do believe that eternal truth is more of a direction rather than perfect facts from 200 years of men leading the church. And in regards to the church, there are only two questions that are relevant to me. One, is the church more true today than it was yesterday? To me, I say yes. I think the church is absolutely more true today than it was yesterday. And that as we keep going in the restoration of the church, which it is called an ongoing process, restoration, we are solidifying more and more truth. The second question that's important to me is, are the eternal doctrines taught in the truth giving sorry are the eternal doctrines taught in the church giving me actual fruit and i say yes as well when i have lived the actual doctrines of jesus christ the ones of faith repentance making covenants following the spirit i find that they give me fruit they improve my life they improve my mental emotional physical spiritual financial health all of them yeah And this is something that kind of gets overlooked. I feel like we've, you know, so many people find stuff about the church that's shocking or in the history that's eye-opening or something like that. But you got to focus on what's happening today. Are we going the right direction today? And if you follow the teachings of Jesus Christ that are taught, are you getting fruit? Is it actually improving your life or is it making it worse? If it's making it worse, then first question you want to ask is if you're actually living the principles. If or or if you've believed the truth or it was a lie and you would want to go back to those principles of truth that I spoke about before to find out if you're believing the truth. And then follow it 
to see if it gives you truth and fruit. Once you know that it's giving you a result, then it's going to tell you it's a good thing. So that's what I would say. I'm not here to tell you that you have to believe the church is true or not. I'm just here saying, this is my opinion. This is what I think. And I do believe that everybody has a duty to search for truth because that's that's going to bring you the most happiness and joy throughout your whole life. And the way I understand the church is that it is supposed to encompass all truth. And whatever is not truth needs to be taken out. And whatever is true needs to stay. And one thing I'll say is, if I were hypothetically uh, the devil, yeah, and I wanted to mess things up, I would look for places to hide. And one of the best places to hide would probably be behind a pulpit in a church, where I could be talking about things that give people fear, where I could be spreading lies, where I could have people think they're not worthy or that work, they have to work hard all their lives or else they're not worthwhile. I would be peddling these lies all the time. I would try and convince people not to go to God. I would convince people that they would uh, they don't have a choice to serve a mission, things like that. That's what I would be doing because under the guise of a pulpit, people can be led astray very easily. And in these days... President Nelson has even said, if you don't know how to listen to and understand the Spirit, you'll be led astray. And this is an important concept, is knowing what truth is and knowing when the Spirit speaks to you, which is usually by peace. So that oldest fragment in the New Testament ever found, right, is from the book of John. And it is Jesus Christ telling Pilate that he is the true and living way. And I, I believe personally that Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the direction. He is the straight and narrow gate. That when we follow him, we are going to find the truth that we've been looking for. In fact, that Joseph Smith locket, right? They're tracing back in the person's family history photographs that are leading all the way to Emma Smith of having the locket on them in the photograph. And pretty soon, I think they will verify that the photo is real. And just like this rock that was in Hebrew, and they've looked at that rock, and the amazing thing about this rock, I believe it's called Sinai 251 is the name of the rock, is that it has Moses' name on it. And this is from 3600 BC in Egypt. This is over 5,000 years ago. This is a long time ago. And or sorry, it's not 3600 BC. It's dated 3600 years ago. So this is 1600 BC, yeah? And it has Moses's name on it. This is huge. This is a big deal. And it shows that Hebrew is reformed Egyptian because the Hebrew lettering looks adapted from the hieroglyphs that were in Egyptian that they started creating into what is modern day Hebrew. They found in this rock, ancient version of this modern day Hebrew alphabet. So my dad, when we were talking about that, he brought up something very interesting about what truth is. My dad said that truth can be thought of in the Masonic way, where when you are uh, making things straight and narrow, you can also call it true, just like you would say true north right? It's, it's straight and narrow. 
And I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, when it when you talk about the church, right? The church is true. I would call it a direction. The way that it is going, the direction it's going, is it more true than it was yesterday? And so really, that's that's my response to being asked if the church is true, is that I believe it's more true today than it was yesterday. And I'm willing to give current leaders of the church the benefit of the doubt that they're leading us in the right direction because I see it getting better every day. And I see them adapting truth every day more and more. And I also know that as I follow the principles that are the gospel of Jesus Christ, like faith, true faith, true repentance, yeah, that it improves my life. It makes it a lot better. And to me, it says to me that it, it's true and it's a good way to go. It's the right direction. So thank you for listening today. I hope to have even more meaningful conversations. This was a long episode because there was a lot to go into it, especially for people that are trying to figure out their standing in the church, what they believe about it and everything. I hope this was helpful. Please give me feedback, share this with other people that might need this, that are trying to figure out their faith, where it's at. And I think it will help them. Thank you. And until next week. Ken loves to get feedback from his audience. Send him a private message or write a review so that he can discuss topics that are most relevant to your spiritual experience. Thank you for listening today and remember to join next week.